Hello, listeners. This episode contains contextual references of grief, depression, and suicidal ideation. I wanted to let you know up front so you can take care while listening. We've added some resources to our show notes if you or someone you know needs help or want to know more about the topics we cover. Hello there, and welcome to Wild for Scotland, a podcast full of immersive travel stories from Scotland. I'm your host and storyteller, Cathy Kamleitner. Wild for Scotland helps you connect with Scotland, its people, wildlife, landscapes and histories. In every episode, I either whisk you away on a beautiful adventure or introduce you to inspiring locals and their stories. In between, I share my top tips for your own Scotland trip and how to follow in my footsteps. So lean back and enjoy. Let's travel to Scotland. Today's story isn't quite the usual travel story I normally tell on this podcast. Travel, to me, isn't just about visiting new places, learning about history or nature, or meeting new people. Travel, at the core, is also about learning about myself. This is a story about this process. We start off with a journey into my mind, as I reflect on some of my personal experiences with swimming grief and depression. Then I take you along to an island on the west coast of Scotland that I visited in search of, well, you'll see. This is Healing Waters. Have you ever been overcome by an overwhelming urge to jump into a body of water? an irrational longing to dive into a deep, dark loch or the clear blue sea. I get it when I drive along the coast, or when a friend tells me about their latest swim, or even when looking at posts about the sea on social media. Some people hear the call of the void. I hear the call from the deep. Just jump in, put my head underwater, and stay there, motionless. No sounds piercing my ears, no words crossing my lips. Just that comforting feeling of floating, being weightless, shut off from the world. I find myself sitting at my desk, dreaming of a body of water, any body of water, to immerse myself and forget about all the things that worry me. But more often than not, the water is out of reach. My backup is a sound file of waves crashing on a beach. One after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other. Whenever I hear the sound of waves, 
My shoulders drop instantaneously. My collarbones soften and my shoulder blades slide down to their natural position, dropping away from my ears. And a growing body of research shows that I'm not the only one. There's lots of evidence that water and blue spaces are good for body and mind. Being near water, be it a river, a lake, a waterfall or the coast, has tangible benefits for your mental and physical well-being. You don't even have to immerse yourself. Just being close, looking at the water and listening to it allows you to experience its restorative powers. It may not be a miracle cure, but the positive effects of water are undeniable. Lately, that irrational longing for the sea has crept up on me more often than I'd like to admit. The sound file of the waves has been a constant companion, whether I was working on emails, writing stories, or simply needed to calm down. The last year has been difficult for me. It all began last spring, when I was called home from a trip to the West Coast and had to say goodbye to our beloved cat for the final time. Now, I know some people might say it's just a cat, and I'd never want to compare the loss of a pet to the loss of a person, but to me, the pain was at times unbearable. My throat still tightens at the thought of him taking his last breath in my arms. It happened so unexpectedly. I didn't know what to do with my grief. All I could do was let it wash over me, and as time went on, the periods between these moments of sadness became longer and longer. But this was only the beginning. It was last September, on a holiday to Spain, when the sadness returned. Only this time, it had nothing to do with our cat. In fact, I couldn't pinpoint its source at all. Unlike before, there was no reason, no thing that could be overcome, no wound that time could heal. It was just all around me, irrational, illogical, unbearable. I cried every day, sometimes silently behind my sunglasses, other times shaking uncontrollably in my partner's arms. I didn't know what was wrong with me, only that the sadness began and wouldn't stop. Until it did. There always comes a point when the tide finally turns, like the ebb and flow of water forms a rhythmical pattern that all of a sudden changes direction. My sadness just evaporated and became impossible to grasp. I blamed it on stress at work, memories of the past that had come up in talks with my business coach, and the fact that the holiday wasn't quite what I had expected. I made peace with it and moved on. Only that a few months later, in the new year, the sadness returned. It was just as strong and irrational as the first time. The tears kept coming and I had an anger inside of me, mostly at myself. The ebbs and flows of this continued and I kept blaming it on stressful work situations. Back-to-back campaign trips, a high demand on my itinerary planning service, unexpected problems with an organisation I had started to volunteer with. At the height of it all, my parents arrived for a week-long visit. I put on a brave face, bottled up all those emotions and shoved them right to the back of my mind. I actually enjoyed spending time with them, but deep inside, I felt empty, tired 
and overwhelmed. During their visit, I had an online meeting that made it almost impossible to keep up appearances. It was after they had left and I returned to my desk that the weight finally became too heavy. I couldn't face it anymore, not a single email, phone call or meeting. I just wanted to disappear from the face of the earth so I wouldn't have to deal with the shattered pieces in front of me. I felt guilty and like a failure. After all, I've made my passion my career. I get to write for a living and I'm my own boss. But I didn't feel that way. I thought this year would be the year I would take full control of my work-life balance. Only say yes to projects I felt passionate about and really thrive as a creative. But now, I felt like I had lost all control. I told all this to a friend on a phone call a week later. As a side note, I mentioned that I had just started my period and was feeling a little better. And what she said next changed everything. Have you heard about PMDD? PMDD is short for premenstrual dysphoric disorder. It's a severe form of PMS that occurs in the two weeks before menstruation and causes a range of emotional and physical symptoms, including feeling hopeless and out of control, mood swings and suicidal feelings. My throat tightens as I read that. I don't keep a diary, but I'm pretty strict with noting down what I do each day in my calendar. September, January, March, April, May. Those were the months I felt at my worst. And each period of sadness overlaps with the week before I started my period. Could this be the pattern? The cause of my overwhelming sadness? I've not sought an official diagnosis yet, but I've started keeping track of my moods so that maybe one day it would be easier to get one. I'm not convinced I have PMDD, but the thought of there being another reason for my sadness, something that isn't my fault and I can't change, has helped me a lot to deal with my feelings each month. But there is also another thing that has kept me feeling sane. Water. As I went through my calendar, I noticed that every time my mental health felt at its worst, I organised to go for a swim. And so, just as I started spiralling again, I decided to join some friends for a trip to the Isle of Col. It felt like a solution. I carried a vivid image from a previous trip in my memory. I could close my eyes and see a sandy beach, a flock of birds pecking in the sand at the shoreline, scurrying away whenever a wave approached, moving as one as if the water had already engulfed them. Seagulls calmly floating in the shallows, and seals popping their heads above the surface to see who was patrolling the beach. Even just the thought of it made me relax. I could almost hear the waves, feel the cold of the water as it travelled up my legs to my stomach, chest and shoulders, and finally swallowing my head. This trip was going to heal me and make me whole. We arrived on call late on a Saturday evening. 
It was the middle of summer, so there was still daylight left. But after spending four hours on the ferry, all I could think about was my bed. The next morning, though, the tide had turned and it was time to head to the coast. Our choice falls on Struan Beach, a sandy cove on the northwest coast of Col. Keen to explore, I put on my wetsuit and snorkel and head for the rocky outcrop that is being exposed by the tide. I watch a shoal of sand eels glide through the bay, swim past the plumose anemone attached to a thick blade of sugar kelp, and sway in the current alongside the yellow branches of sea spaghetti. The water is cold, but with the wetsuit forming a protective layer around me, I manage to stay in for quite a while. The wetsuit is like an armour, one that I'm not ready to take off right away. Every day, a different beach is calling our names. We paddleboard with seals on Cleat Beach. We see puffins on Langa and jump off the pier at Hainish on Tyree. We're island hopping, enjoying the unusually warm weather and almost eternal sunshine. The skies are bright blue and my shoulders feel light, relaxed and unburdened. For the first few swims, I wriggle in and out of my neoprene, covering every inch of my body, using gloves and socks to keep my skin warm. The water is still cold as it seeps through the thick layer of fabric, but overall, it is a gentle way to immerse myself. After a few days, though, my uniform changes. I still cover my skin, but now I'm wearing swim leggings and a long-sleeved rash vest. The stocks stay on but I lose the gloves. It feels colder going in like this. My limbs go numb after a shorter amount of time, but it still helps holding me afloat. The thin layer of air between my skin and the fabric makes me feel weightless. I swim out, to where the water is deep enough so that my feet can no longer touch the ground. But I still feel within my comfort zone. I lie back, floating the way my mum showed me many years ago in the ocean of Greece. Puffed up chest, calm breaths in and out. Opening and closing my eyes, regularly checking that I'm not being pulled out by the tide. My feet are dangling beneath me, like they're not even part of my body. The water is calm. Small ripples nudge my toes as they dip in and out on the surface. Others are in the water too, swimming and paddleboarding. I can hear their voices and laughter, muted by the water filling my ears, slowly fading away as I concentrate on my breathing. The lapping of waves against my head the tickling of tiny bubbles brushing up against my back as I kick my legs to stay afloat. There's nothing else, nothing that occupies my mind, just being in the water. Not before long, it is our last day on the island, and we set out as a group to walk to the western beaches in the south 
The first is Fial Beach, a long sandy bay facing north. The winds are strong today, but this beach is unusually sheltered. The grassy path towards it is lined by macker flowers, purple harebells, ox-eye daisies and bursts of pink and yellow. Small piles of dried seaweed litter the otherwise sparkling white sand, letting through just enough sunlight to show off the brilliant hues of the shallow sea. Green and turquoise turns to a vibrant cobalt blue, slowly fading into midnight shades. As we walk along this beach, I'm overcome by that same overwhelming urge I know all too well. The urge to strip off and dive in, submerge my head and lose myself in the cold moment. As we near the end of the bay, I tell the others to keep walking and catch up with them in a little while. There's something I needed to do. I find a rock to lay my backpack on, peel out of my hiking clothes that are already sweaty and neatly fold them in the best order to put them back on. Wrapped in a towel, I reach for my bathing suit, but before I can grab it, my hand pulls back. Something stops me from putting it on. I look around the empty beach. Another group of hikers has long disappeared behind the grassy dunes we just came from, and to the best of my knowledge, there was no one else coming. I take off my towel and place it on top of my clothes. The sun feels warm on my skin and the breeze feels cool. I walk through the soft sand, a canyon of tiny pebbles closing and opening with every step I take, until it hardens beneath my feet the closer I get to the edge. The cold water hits my feet and climbs up my legs, my ankles, calves and knees, thighs, bum and belly button. I let my hands hang down alongside my body, and my fingertips dip into the sea. I squeeze my fingers, just enough to form little bowls on my palms, scooping of water to drizzle on my arms, my shoulders and my back. I breathe deeply, bend my knees and submerge my body into the sea. My skin is burning and my lungs contract. I lose sense of my toes, but all I can focus on is staying afloat. I remain here, feeling the cold of the water on parts of my body that are normally protected by my swimsuit. I pull my knees into my chest. My toes can still touch the ground, anchoring me in a way to the sand as I bob up and down, back and forth, like a creature of the sea. It makes me feel connected and free at the same time, an unbreakable bond with the sea, with my body and my mind, yet free from the constraints I put on myself every day. A few minutes later, I emerge from the sea and put on my clothes. I can hear the faint laughter of my friends behind the next hill as I slowly catch up on them. We continue our walk, 
have lunch overlooking a stormy bay and go for another dip at Crossopole Beach, taunting waves and giggling as they swallow us whole. Whole, that's how I wanted to feel after this trip. I have no doubt that spending so much time by the sea was good for my soul. Walking alongside it, playing in the shallows, exploring rock pools, snorkeling, paddleboarding, swimming. I know I'm not healed. That's not how it works. But the water has had a healing effect on me. I feel more at ease, at peace with myself. And that peace is something I get to take home with me and find again and again as I close my eyes, listen to the waves and think back of this journey to the Isle of Cole. you enjoyed this trip into my mind and to the Isle of Col. I know this was a slightly different story to tell and if I'm being honest I was quite scared to share something so personal with you all. If anything you heard on this episode resonated with you I'd love to hear from you. Take a screenshot of your podcast app and share what you liked about the episode in an Instagram story. You can also leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or even send me an email. Our address is hello at wildforscotland.com. In the full show notes on our website, we're sharing some resources that I found helpful on my learning journey about blue health and PMDD. This episode does not contain our usual practical travel tips. But if you'd like to learn more about the Isle of Col and what there is to see and do, go back to season one of Wild for Scotland and listen to episode 10, Day and Night. In that story, we explore the coast of Cull by boat, we meet a famous wonky highlander and see what's so special about this island after dark. You may also want to revisit my interview with outdoor swimmer Callum McLean from season three, in which we talk about how to get started with cold water swimming and some essential safety tips to make it a fun and safe experience. Finally, in this week's newsletter, I'll be sharing some specific tips for swimming on the Isle of Cull. You'll find the link to sign up in the show notes. And with this, I send you off to dream about your own trip to the Isle of Col or any other body of water that is near you, especially if you feel the urge to immerse yourself and find a moment of calm. Next week, we're taking our traditional mid-season break. We'll be back with a new episode on October 31st, but Patreon supporters won't have to wait that long they'll get a bonus episode with a sneak peek of the second half of the season, recorded somewhere on the beautiful west coast of Scotland. Head to wildforscotland.com forward slash support to learn more or find the link to join in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to Wild for Scotland. Wild for Scotland is part of the Tremula Network, adventure and outdoor podcasts off the beaten path. The show is written and hosted by me, Kathy Kamleitner. Thanks to Fran Chorowskis, who's the co-producer and editor and does the sound design. Michelle Payne and Anesu Matanda Mambingo are supporting us with social media and transcripts. Podcast art is by Lizzie Bourne Knight and all original music is composed by Bruce Wallace. Until next time, when we travel to a different watery place in Scotland. <laughs>